Tuesday Night Mystery Club. Hello and welcome to the Tuesday Night Mystery Club, a show where I tell a guest a mystery story and they try to guess the solution. I am your host, Caitlin McCluskey, and today, as as I've been doing for all of February, I am joined by a couple, Shelly and Alex. Hello. 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 So I'm so glad you guys could join me. So this is actually Shelly and Alex were, uh, they were the ones that gave me the idea to be doing couples for February. So yeah, exciting to have them that. here. <laughs> Sorry, Shelly. Oh, I said, heck yeah, we love love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so kind of in that Okay, first, first, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. What would you, Shelly has been on the show before, so you have some mystery mystery solving experience. Alex, have you watched any kind of mystery TV shows, movies, anything like that? Uh, mostly something that Shelly wants me to watch, and then we watch it. That, yeah. <laughs> that is the extent of my um, in-depth interest of whodunit mysteries, I would okay. say. They're entertaining, but I, I haven't, haven't watched too many. It's not, it's not what you are drawn to if it was first choice type thing. Not even that. It's like actually super interesting. I just uh, haven't, I guess. I don't know. Fair enough. I don't watch a lot of TV, so I can't I can't <laughs> say anything to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, nevertheless, I'm excited to give it a shot here. Good. And Shelly, you're excited to be back for yeah, the third time? Third time. Mm-hmm. Had nice. zero success for the first two times, so third time's the charm. <laughs> tr- what's the thing? Third, third time's the charm? charm? Well, I mean, oh, third time's the charm, yeah. Please edit that out. I know all my idioms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll tag team it this time. See if uh, yeah. See if my additional intelligence can. Okay, no, you're gonna have to cut that. Out. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving it all in. All right. No. <laughs> I, I'm set, setting us up for disappointing failure there. <laughs> if you've uh, if you've heard either of the episodes Emily Shilton was on, she comes out arms swinging, guns blazing, ready to solve it. Uh, And yes, go ahead, Shelly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just listened to her and Connor's thing and spoiler alert, they did so well. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So it it is, I think, I think the idea of having two people on, you are able to, you know, if one person has an idea and the other person has a different idea, you're able to kind of, it is that working together or bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas I'm just here to kind of give um, brief mm-hmmms and uh, <laughs> mm, good idea. Not very, not very uh, good for brainstorming. You'll still say it, even if it's not a good idea, though. I will. <laughs> I, I try to remain impartial, even though it's so difficult. That, that's part of the reason I don't want to go on video, is I'll give it away in my face. I won't be able to stop smiling. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need that kind of hint. Maybe. <laughs> What's the success rate on this? That's a good question. I've never calculated it. I think th- three people have guessed. Someone, people in the comments, come come for me on Instagram and tell me I'm wrong. But I think Eric Wong, the very beginning, solved one. Caroline Cr- Crampton, who was on a few weeks ago, she guessed it. And uh, Connor, last week, I would say. Connor and Emily. Wait, and how many episodes have there been? This is episode 39. Oh, damn. Okay. So our, our odds are not with us, but, but we, we'll give it a shot. <laughs> I thought we had 40, or I thought you were already above 40. Uh, so that's, that's a good point. So in the summer, I was doing short story episodes uh, once oh, a month. Yeah. 
so I I am above 40, but in the like official episode count, this is 39. Mm-hmm. So yeah, technically there are more. Alex, that leads to a good question. I should go back and mm-hmm. and have like some kind of a tally that shows who's yeah, who's. I'd love to know what like the success rate. Of yeah. contestants are it's not very no, high I like so that. don't worry no, well, no, it, you, can have the, you can have the finalists back for the the biggest brain that's contest. oh i <gasps> like that oh look at that's us just giving you good ideas yeah you guys now okay, trying to start like, out you... strong before we go downhill <laughs> okay I, you gave me an idea there but i'm gonna keep it to myself right, Wait, maybe. Well. um should i introduce the book sure <laughs> yeah what are we at eight minutes in <laughs> <laughs> so so this book uh be kind of on the themes of love this is um the author is Jacqueline Winspear and it's her first book that's just entitled Maisie Dobbs who is the name of the main detective and I've gotten a lot of requests to do Jacqueline Winspear just people suggesting it to me on Instagram saying it's a good um good series good author and so I read the book and it's a fantastic book but it was not a who done it like it's not there is a mystery involved and there's there is murder and there like that kind of thing going on but it's not the type of book that's set up with where all the clues are there and you just need to figure them out and and guess guess the end but with this kind of i this we're doing of the month of love for february i felt like it would be a good opportunity to do this book because it's an introduction to the detective Maisie Dobbs and so hopefully it will set me up in the future to be able to do the the next books in the series that's kind of what I'm thinking mm-hmm. yeah. sounds fun yeah uh so I haven't read I have not read the future books in the series so I don't know what they're like but <laughs> <laughs> it's this will hopefully give me some opportunity to expand the authors we do here so, so this book is set, it was written in 2003, so it's pretty recent, and she, I believe, is still releasing books in the series, is she? Oh, I really should not say these things, because I've been wrong so many times. I'm going to look it up. Uh, I, I said, when I first said P.D. James, the author, I said that she was a contemporary to Agatha Christie, which is not mm-hmm. true at all. She wrote books in the 60s and 70s, so I wasn't even close. I mean... Wait, what does contemporary mean again? Like, they wrote books at the same time, yeah. Mm -hmm. Or they were working at the same time. When was Agatha Christie's last book? 50s? 60s? Uh, Yeah, late 60s, early 70s, I think. Or maybe late 70s. There you go. It's the same so time, you're, right? No, you're right. <laughs> technically, technically true. However, I had meant it in the she was writing books in the twenties, so my intentions were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so Jacqueline Winspear is her her next book is coming March twenty third. So she is still Ooh. publishing. Mm-hmm. So so this and so this book, even though written recently, is set in the kind of mid war. It's uh, this book starts in nineteen twenty nine kind of range but throughout the book we do have a flashback to the main character Maisie Dobbs childhood so we go back to like 1911 um, pre-war and then throughout the war stuff comes up so it's it's interesting because it's set in the same time period that Agatha Christie would have been writing but it's written with all of the knowledge of what kind of what what happened in the war and what transpired and how people were affected that maybe Agatha Christie didn't wasn't in as in tune with necessarily Okay. What location is this set in? Uh, London, England. Oh, everything's Ooh, so British. My favorite. Yeah. 
<laughs> Alex is very in tune with his British roots. Good. I, I was thinking about that as I was writing this or taking notes. <laughs> yeah, just sitting here with a giant Union Jack behind me, and that's not even a joke. <laughs> Actually, no. So, so we start the book by meeting Maisie Dobbs. She's, uh, I think in her, she's maybe around 30 at this point in the book. At uh, spring 1929 is where we're kind of being introduced to her. And she seems like a very sharp, quick-witted, personable woman, um, very businesslike. And she's actually starting a business, which she's going to call the Trade and Personal Investigations. And so it's kind of not necessarily a detective agency because she she's, open to solving any kind of problem or, or doing any kind of investigation. She's just a very smart person and very capable. And we also meet the caretaker of the building that she's moving into. The caretaker's name is Billy Beale. And he kind of upon first meeting Maisie, he recognizes her and remembers her from the war uh, because her and he remembers the doctor who had fixed his leg. So he, you know, he walks with a limp. Um, because he was in, had, has this war injury, but he remembers how kind of delicate and careful they were fixing his leg. And it was this idea that any other doctor would have just cut his leg off. So he's so thankful to them and remembers her. Wait, is she a doctor? She was a, she was a, it seems to be that she was a nurse during the war. We're kind of, oh, okay. we're getting bits and pieces about it. Like she, she's not super going into this part of her life. It's just, we are getting this connection that Billy, Billy recognizes her. It also, Billy is asking about the doctor and she, she, it makes her kind of think back to the war. So the doctor had been Captain Simon Lynch. And so it's kind of bringing up some old memories of, uh, to Maisie about her time being a nurse. She does not elaborate on them though, right away. This is gonna, I'm, as I'm telling this right now, this is gonna be so tough to convey the emotion of the story. So I am gonna kind of put a disclaimer out there that for any, sorry, Shelly and Alex, you don't have a choice, but... For, for any listeners, if you like kind of historical fiction and maybe like love story detective books, this is a fantastic, I really like this book. I thought it was great. So if you want to hear all of kind of the emotion and get the full backstory to all of these characters, pause this episode, go read Maisie Dobbs, get it from the library or buy it, and then, then come back and listen to this if you choose. <laughs> wait, wait, that doesn't apply to us? Nope, you guys are like, stuck I can't here. just pause this right now. Nope. Find it What? You guys will, if you want to read the book, we'll have to do it after. After, you know. Shelly, we're going to have to rely on our notes. We can do this. <laughs> we'll compare notes when we're done. Yeah. We kind of keep, we keep getting introduced to people. So that we have Maisie Dobbs, we have Billy Beale, and we're kind of getting this idea that Maisie had an apprenticeship with this guy named Maurice Blanche. And it seems that the business she's starting, she's just taking over from his business where she had had been an apprentice or had worked as an assistant or worked with him, whatever, maybe it had gone through that process. And so now I think she had had taken over her, his business for a while, but is now kind of starting out fresh because she wants it to be her own and her own name and her own clients. So it's about a month into into the starting of her business at this new office, and she's had kind of little jobs here and there, but this is her first big client in a way that's coming in, kind of. It's not the full-blown necessarily mystery, but it's, um, it's a guy called Mr. Davincham, and he thinks that his wife is cheating on him. Happy Valentine's Day. 
Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can kind of see it's it's not it's not like the big, you know, big scoop story, but for Maisie Dobbs, the way the way she operates and the way Maurice had kind of taught her to operate was we're solving problems for people. So we're not just going out to to get an answer. We're trying to kind of improve people's lives or like get the truth. So so in a way, she's kind of It's like UX design for mystery solving. She's telling Mr. Davinsham that like if I find out that your wife is cheating, what are you gonna do about it? Like you're just gonna leave your wife or are you gonna try and like work on your relationship? Or what if it's something else? Like what you know, what are you going to do with this information? That's almost, she wants there to be more of a solution than just an answer. Interesting. Right. Yeah. So, so he kind of starts, he agrees to this, I think a little reluctantly, but he had been recommended by his lawyer who knew one of Maisie's contacts. And so he trusts the lawyer. And so he agrees to continue on. And so he gives some of the details that his wife has been leaving the house for the entire day, every Tuesday and Thursday, and she'll leave right after he leaves her work and she'll arrive home right before he gets home from work. So he's picked up on this behavior and she she always has an excuse like, oh, I was visiting a sister, I was at an appointment, those kinds of things. But none of her excuses could possibly take an entire day. So he's wondering what is she doing with the rest of her time. And every Tuesday and Thursday, she said. Yeah. So, just because why not? What what do you guys want to take any wild guesses at what she could be doing? Wow, this is early. Okay. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> this is what I mean. We're like we're just going for shot in the dark guesses here. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I guess this is a time period where she traditionally would have been staying home, right? Yeah. No, she wouldn't have had a job. She was at a um, in a class where she would not have been working. In a class, what kind of class? Oh, sorry, like uh, like middle uh, class. Oh, class, class. Kind of class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Middle sorry, class. thank you, Shelley. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Alex, got any ideas? I mean, I'll be honest. Like, no. You want me to go first? But... <laughs> yeah, if you've got an idea, go for it. Okay. Well, have a few. One. <laughs> How? <laughs> <laughs> because I. <laughs> so I like making wild guesses. This is perfect. One. She has a secret family that nobody knows about. Nice. Um, okay. <laughs> two. I, I feel like, is this the time frame where, like, the woman's revolution thing was happening? Yes, it is. So maybe it's, she's... It's been like, going on for a couple decades, probably. Ooh, okay. Maybe she's going out to meet with them. Um, and she can't yeah. have... Or she can't tell... Or I guess maybe her husband's, like, opposed to her or, like, something. Mm-hmm. Um, so she can't really tell him about it um three she's planning an elaborate surprise for him Um, okay so there's no cheating involved and it's just a cute little love story but he thinks that there's cheating involved because she's being super secretive right right right. okay yeah um four she's just living her damn life (laughs) (laughs) and it just happens to coincide with tuesdays and thursdays yeah like maybe she has to be at home for like i don't know milk deliveries on monday wednesday Friday. sure yeah. Or yeah. do something. I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Okay, That's yeah, fair. good. So all things to keep in mind. Alex, do you have any shot in the darks? Or do you think maybe Mr. Davinchen's right? Is his wife cheating on him? I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a big gap to be filled in there. You know? hundred percent. She's going yeah. places and it seems to be on a schedule. But like, uh, it's a pretty big leap to make. Okay. So, but my so assumption you've... right now anyways, I'm assuming that what's to come is that if he thinks... 
she's cheating on him. Mm -hmm. There must be more to the dynamic than that she's just leaving because I don't know. Right. It seems, it seems too big of a, a, a jump to me. Okay. Okay. So, so it doesn't, we get right into it. This isn't, again, as I said, it's not, it's a mystery, but it's not kind of like this big, you know, murder mystery that we're kind of used to on the podcast. And so we kind of find out pretty quickly, um, Maisie Dobbs gets up bright and early the next day and heads for the Davensham residence. And she waits outside until she sees Celia, that's the wife's name, leave the house. And so Mr. Davensham had given her a very good description of his wife. And so she knows what she's looking for. And so Celia leaves the house and she heads for the train station and she buys a ticket for Nether Green and, and a return ticket. So Maisie kind of does the same, except she gets a second class ticket, not a first class ticket. So she's on a different carriage, uh, but they both get off at Nether Green. And she, she follows kind of at a, you know, a good distance behind Celia and she watches her buy flowers at a flower shop and then continue on. And she asks, Maisie stops at the florist as well to kind of ask kind of some, some questions and finds that Celia stops at that flower shop every Tuesday and Thursday and buys the same flowers, which I forget the name of. I didn't write them down. Not important, but they're the same <laughs> flowers. <laughs> so, so the next stop that Celia takes is she goes into the cemetery that is at the end of the road. And Maisie pretends to be tending to a nearby grave as if she's, she's also a family member grieving. And when Celia leaves that day, Maisie reads the tombstone that she had been at, and it just has a first name. It says, Vincent, taken from all who love you dearly. Hmm. Oh, was it her baby? So we, we're not sure yet. Maisie, oh. it's, it's one of those um, things where, yeah, Maisie needs more information. It, there's not a lot to go on. So she's going to, I think, continue to follow Celia for for a little longer. This this particular day, she just heads home, but she's going to be back for, for Thursday to find out. So quick question, uh, yeah. if, if yes. I may. Are, are these yes. locations based off of, like, real-life locations? I have absolutely no idea. I think okay, cause I did, some of them I must be. I may have just put another green station into maps, but it gave me something that would be... <laughs> a large amount of hours train ride to London. So no, that is possible because it would make sense, right? She's gone for an entire day, and all she's done is that's tended true. to a grave, and that's the whole day. So I think it makes sense that this would have been a a couple hours train journey. Okay, then this is this is definitely okay. I'm gonna keep on this route. Okay, yeah. So it it is possible these places are real. I did not look into it myself. <laughs> so do. I guess I guess following on the track of taking shots in the dark. Uh, any any thoughts about this Vincent person? So, you, uh, Chelly, you said possible uh, dead child, baby. Mm-hmm. My thought. Okay, so this is this is like taking a leap on <laughs> that my Google Google Map searching is is accurate. Right. Um, it would be really weird to have a grave for a child all the way up. It's near like Sheffield, which is very very north of London. So if it's okay. like if these two are had a child, but the child didn't survive. It would be odd to have a grave for the child so far away. Right. Okay. Assuming so, that they've lived in London this whole time. Yeah. So I, wait, wait, wait. Alex, do you have a theory? Well, I mean, I guess that was my anti-theory. But uh, <laughs> my, it could possibly be that she had another lover maybe during the war or something. I don't know. Mm. A soldier who was killed in the war who 
did live up north, and so she's going to his grave. But I don't okay. know why she would be going on the same time every week. Right. Yeah. Okay. I feel like the fact that she goes so often means that it's got to be like somebody who's super important to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but so my counter to your anti-theory, Alice, mm-hmm. is <laughs> that maybe she had like the first marriage not to Mr. Davinchan. Mm-hmm. And they had either like her new husband or her old husband died or like their baby died or something. And then he also died in the war. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I just find it odd that the, it's only the first name, Vincent, because usually you have a last. Like, yeah. Usually it's a last name too, mm-hmm. right? My Especially other if you completely... died in the war, maybe. You know, I feel like they would know. But maybe. I feel like if you died in the war, you probably wouldn't be buried anywhere. Or like your headstone, like why would it be in Sheffield instead of London? Well, it could be placed in your if, hometown, maybe. That's yeah, where yeah, maybe. This, this mysterious man was from. My other yeah. very different theory is maybe it's a dog. <laughs> oh, and that's Sorry, why I, I didn't mean to name. laugh at that. Puppers <laughs> <laughs> don't have last names, or they don't need last names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be more common. Yes. That's fair. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's more of a just jokey theory. Okay. <laughs> okay, so that I think I think those are those are good guesses. And this it's it's this is interesting to me because it is it's the exact same thing of when you're reading a book for the first time, you're kind of unconsciously making assumptions about what's going to happen next, you know? Like mm-hmm. you're it's what the mm-hmm. first th- thought that pops into your head about something is kind of what you're going with and then as you continue through the book, you see if you're right or wrong or not, right? So that's kind of exactly <laughs> what we're doing, but uh, <laughs> saying our theories out loud, which is very interesting. So so on Thursday, Maisie follows Celia again to the cemetery and she it's it's this she knows now. She there's no doubt in her mind that it Celia is gonna do the exact same thing every week. It's n- there is yeah, there she's not cheating necess- unless you count this cheating. Like she's not doing anything else. And there's nothing new uh with, with the they have like a cursory glance at each other. So it's now Celia has like looked at Maisie. And so she kind of has that in the back of her mind that she's might be recognized in the future. But she stays behind after Celia leaves to talk to the, the groundsman at the cemetery. And he confirms something that I, I think she was already thinking and you guys have I've touched on as well. Alex has that these are graves in this area from men from the war, this area of the cemetery. Uh, but it's not people that necessarily died in the war. They might have died years later. And it's more that just they were old soldiers. And so they're buried in a similar area. And he points out, well, she, Maisie asks him about Vincent's grave. And he thinks that uh, the woman is a friend, a friend's sister. So Vincent had a friend and Celia is the sister of this friend. So she has that kind of like two-away connection and the 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 man had been dead for two years that he's been buried here he also gives her the last name so this is vincent weathershaw and he he, the groundsman points out that there's actually several graves in the area that only have one have the first name which is interesting for Maisie, and that he had had um facial injuries which a lot of the the soldiers coming home had had different kinds of injuries but i think the facial ones were the most difficult to deal with because it's it's this super visible thing that these men had to deal with and had these um you know elaborate masks built for them out of tin and painted to try and return to some normalcy that they were used to after the war 
but because of that, they, they felt this um, othering and uh, dist they would distance themselves from society. And so they, he thinks that that's what had happened with Vincent. He had been living on a farm with other soldiers with face injuries when he had died. Hmm. So oh, she, does, she gets quite a bit of information from the groundsman. I'm so sorry. The, the groundsman said, uh, what was just the first assumption that he had? Like it was a friend's sister or something? He says that he thinks Celia was a sister of a friend of of one of Vincent's friends. Oh, okay. So she wasn't necessarily Vincent. Celia wasn't necessarily friends with Vincent. She was his his friend's sister. Not as far as this groundsman is aware. <laughs> but that's fair. Yeah. So I did kind of just realize that the whole Mr. Davinsham, Celia, Vincent thing, that is the full story. I thought that was just like a small plot device, like it's near the beginning. But now that right. I know that this is what we're going to be focusing on, and you right. did say that you were crying, I retract <laughs> everything about dogs and babies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to move forward with just, it is, this is, I, I will also say this, this story is heavily focused on the First World War, or what they would have called the Great War. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So... So Maisie goes back to her office and she's speaking. Billy is talking to her about about the war. He had been in the war and, and she kind of knows that because he's brought it up and she remembers him. And so she asks him if he knew Captain Weathershaw, this this Vincent guy. And Billy says that the name rings a bell. He had never worked with him or he had never been his commander, but that he would ask around at the bars with his you know, his friends, other soldiers he knows and see what he can find out about Weathershaw or about Vincent. I'll call him Vincent. So one, one thing he does remember, Billy, Billy does remember, is that he had heard, he seems to remember hearing that Vincent was careless with his own life, not his men's lives. He was very dedicated to his squadron or I don't know the terms, but his division. But that's all he can remember. So he'll try and find out more from other people. So later that week, Maisie follows Celia to a tea room, and this is super purposeful. She gets a table right beside her and kind of catches her attention, and Celia recognizes her as the woman from the cemetery, uh, but doesn't make the connection that she's being followed. She just, they kind of act in surprise. Maisie offers for her to come sit with her, and they start up this conversation. And this is what Maisie wants more information. It's it's more than just finding out uh I think she needs to know more about Vincent. She needs to know who Vincent was to Celia before she can kind of give a report to Mr. Davinchum. So Maisie gets them to like have this bond. This is part of her, it, it seems to be her apprenticeship with this Maurice Blanche, who she had worked with before. They dealt a lot with psychology and empathy and how to uh, understand people's emotions and work with them. And so Maisie is able to create this bond between her and Celia and create this, uh, this friendship, this kind of like instant friendship by kind of mimicking Celia's own emotions and, and body language, that kind of thing. Like that's, so that's a lot of Maisie Dobbs traits that come up in the book that I, I won't talk about as much because they're kind of, you know, smaller things, but just to give you one example. And so she gets Celia talking about, just talking in general, but um, she's also able to, she brings up the fact that she was a nurse and so that she understands these wounds 
And so she knows that Vincent had had these wounds. And so Celia is kind of overcome by emotion. Do you, do you have an idea of kind of what Vincent was or who is he? Like what type of soldier role he was? Um, no, maybe like more, more why, why Celia is visiting his grave. Oh. Can't say I have too much more to go on than before. We mm-hmm. know that he was kind of a careless guy, but he was in charge of, of people. So there must have been some, you know, pe- some people around him who had faith in his ability to do what he needed to do. And he must have also right. proved himself at some point. Right. And he did. He came back from the war. He was injured, but he, he, this is 1929. He died in 1927. So he lived quite a while after the war as well. Mm-hmm. Did he take his own life or something? Like he was so careless with his life okay. that yeah. he wasn't, like maybe it wasn't necessarily suicide, but he also just didn't. Right. Like he, he was taking risks or he was putting himself in risky situations, not caring about the outcome. Yeah, okay. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine the living situation wouldn't have been necessarily fostering to happiness. So Right. Wait, maybe... Okay, I'm, I'm just trying to t- tie in a love story to this, and I can't right now, but... <laughs> but... No, no, that's, I totally that's forgot. so This fair. has got to be a love story, you're right. No, okay. <laughs> to, to, you'll see, there's, there's a bunch of different components to this story. So this kind of like Mr. Davincham is his wife cheating on him, that cool thing. It's very much just this beginning part of the story. So that's why we're kind of racing through it. Oh, damn. Is, okay. It's, it's the beginning of the story. So just, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll go into it because I'm sorry, guys. It is this difficult kind of shots in the dark. And so I think, Alex, you said this. So so um, Celia was in love with Vincent when she was a teenager. So the, she, Vincent had been like her first love. He had been friends with her older brother. And so she had had this um, like kind of access to, to him. And I think it was normal in this period for, for girls to fall in love with the friends of their brothers. Uh, because that's who you were friends with. Like, that's who came over to the house and that kind of thing. Social networking, yes. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So he had been injured. The injury had occurred at Passchendaele, and the the thing that Celia is kind of overcome with is she had visited, visited him in hospital after the fact, and she couldn't remember what he had looked like before his injury. It was so... Um, devastating his his um his injuries and it had really upset her and I think he had, he had, I think she says that Vincent had kind of retreated from life and had this very difficult um kind of coming back to society and she ended up he, not that he hadn't wanted nothing to do with her but she ended up marrying during this time and so I think she feels a lot of guilt that now he's that Vincent is dead hmm. did she get married? while he was away do you know or i think it was after the war so no it would have been once he was back uh but there i guess maybe if she was middle class or upper class there was some feeling of responsibility to get married and and Mm -hmm. maybe her parents were finding her someone but she ends up marrying uh this man mr davincham who had not served in the war he owned a press um and so was producing kind of newspapers and deemed an essential service in a way and so had not been drafted I see, I see. So there might be some tension there as well. This is Celia and Mr. Davincham kind of start to factor out of the story at this point. And it's more Maisie is thinking, why 
why did this man get buried with just his, why did he just go by just his first name? She feels as if there's more to this story that doesn't concern Celia, that's beyond her, hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So this is this is kind of where it starts to get even more like wild guesses of what what was going on in the background of Vincent's life that you couldn't possibly know from what I've told you. <laughs> Wait, can I guess? Yes, you can definitely <laughs> guess. <laughs> okay. One, he was adopted and then found out about it. And so he was really confused and mad at his adoptive parents, which is why he didn't put their last name on the gravestone. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I have another guess two, when you're done. Okay. Oh, okay. Maybe him and... Wait, you said Celia doesn't really factor into it anymore? Yeah. Um, so Yeah, I don't. I Well, okay. Maybe I, yeah. him... <laughs> Sorry. Him and somebody else. Like, I was thinking maybe Celia's brother, but I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be him. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were actually lovers. Or, like, maybe it was somebody at the okay. facial injury house sure. that he had a close relationship with. Right. And then he, maybe he was, like, shunned because of that, because we're talking about the 20s. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't know about the, the last name thing, but I think that might be right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but... That's that's the whole thing with like taking these kind of guesses is it might come up later, what how that ties in. So I, I got a guess on his name too. The, okay. This time period, especially involving things with the war, um, mm-hmm. it was not uncommon for people to feel like shame over certain things to the war. Sure. So like for example, if you didn't serve, some people would shame you for not you know not fighting for your country. Right. But also there was um, a great deal of self shame for when someone came back from the war um, by what they would call at the time crippled and whether that was you know you couldn't use your arm or you lost a limb or you had some sort of injury that made you less what society would deem useful I guess you could feel a lot of self-shame and I wonder if he came back with an injury that basically defaced him Mm -hmm. he felt a lot of shame and didn't want to burden his family's name uh, as you know that kind of presence on the family name now, we don't right. know maybe what class he's from, but definitely in the upper classes, there was... Well, he was wasn't... a captain, so you do kind of figure if he was an yeah. officer, he's coming from that, you know, maybe a higher... Yeah, so maybe it was either his family. choice or his family's choice that he shouldn't be associated with the family name, and so... Right, okay, yep. Yeah. That's, a That's my theory guess. right now, anyways. Okay. Watch too much Downton Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Hope you don't get copyright slapped. <laughs> I hope I hope they're not listening. Actually, no, I want them to be listening. What am I talking about? Yeah. Down now. Come on the podcast. Yeah, Hugh Grant, you're next. <laughs> I, I think that's his name. Anyways. <laughs> okay. Okay, I like that. So so we continue on. Uh, she leaves Celia. They make plans to meet again. Like that's that's the kind of like level of closeness that Maisie has fostered between them. Yeah. And and she's doing it in good faith, too. Like, she's not doing it to kind of... She is trying to find more out, but she also is trying to heal Celia. Because clearly, clearly, if Celia has been potentially visiting this person's grave for two years, there's a lot of hurt or grief still involved. And so part of Maisie... What Maisie feels is her job is to kind of help heal that as much as she can. So uh, when Maisie gets back that evening, Billy is waiting for her, and he has heard some rumors about captain vincent weathershaw and it seems that all of it's it's this 
it's kind of where you get into like this as historical fiction of like this was a real war and so he's talking about what kind of what really happened and that all the soldiers were absolutely terrified in the trenches and but it, there was this thing that if you did not push over when the whistle blew to go fight like push over the the um onto the battlefield you could be um court-martialed for cowardice and and uh and shot right like at the in the first world war it was yeah. it was that was part of it is if you were uh if you went to trial and were found to be a deserter or or, or a oh. coward you would be killed for as a punishment mm-hmm. so so Billy is talking about like this this real thing that was happening and kind of the terror that went on with it. And he's saying that Vincent Weathershaw didn't agree with this. And a lot of people didn't agree with it. They thought that that was ridiculous, that you were you were kind of killing your own in this terrible war that was killing so many already. And so Weathershaw, Vincent Weathershaw had been called in by what Billy calls the brass. And he was made to do some things that he didn't want to do and that it had, it had altered him kind of forever. And he's, he, he talks about how Vincent had been like a great, he had been a great officer in that when he had to write letters home to wives or girlfriends or family to say that a soldier was died had died, he didn't just said, I'm sorry for your loss. He would throw in personal details about things that he had really enjoyed about their, their personality while he had gotten to know them. So he was a, he was a very caring person, but after whatever the this the higher up officials had done to him, he wasn't the same. And so that that's where that kind of attitude of not caring about his own life had come from. He had just been so disappointed with his country, who he felt had failed him. Hmm. So the the brass called him. That's what you said. This group so of that's people. Billy 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 calls it the brass because he would have been a lower ranking soldier. But it's the idea of like the the highest ranking officers who were kind of calling the shots, but weren't directly in the line of fire. I see. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just kind of this, this, uh, this feeling of, okay, yeah, where is this going? This, this guy was clearly traumatized after the, and then he comes home with these terrible injuries. He's, he's clearly doesn't have a lot of faith in maybe the government to a certain degree. So, so from there, Maisie, as I had said, had planned this, this second outing with Celia. And so they meet for tea at the Ritz because uh, Celia is kind of more of a fancy person. And then they go for a walk in Green Park, which is nearby. And Celia is able, she's had this kind of time to think, right? So she's able to kind of describe more about Vincent's story and what had happened after the war. And so Vincent had met this man that had also been injured or had some kind of injury from the war. And together they had helped to create this place that they called The Retreat. And it was a place for wounded soldiers, specifically ones with facial wounds, could live together and not be, not have to deal with society or be with people that understood their injuries and understood how they were feeling and, and uh, allow them time to heal away from society in some senses. So he was actually part of the founding group of this. It sounds like it. He either was part of, he might not have found it, but he might have been one of the first uh, guests at, at this place. Hmm. Uh, and it was, it was apparent, and it apparently happened. He had fallen nearby a stream and died. And no one had really looked further into the death because I, I think the idea is he was basically missing his entire lower jaw. And so breathing for him was already very difficult. And so they kind of, there was no, it, it, it made sense to them, to the family, I guess, that this, he could have died in such a way. Yeah. 
And so I think that's part that this is now we're getting into why Celia feels so much grief is because she had she hadn't visited him during this period of his time of his life because she, mm. you know, she'd kind of moved on with her husband in a way. And so maybe is feeling guilty that she hadn't done more and that no one had uh, investigated, investigated the deaths. So we also, before I ask for your thoughts, I'll tell you a little bit more about, about this, this place, the retreat. So the, the man in charge is called Adam Jenkins. And he had been, I think, actually the kind of creator or the man who Vincent had met when things were getting started with this. And all the residents who go to stay at this place, technically, they're kind of allowed to go and come to, as they please. Like you can kind of, there's no set period of time that you're there for. You could be there for years. Uh, but all of the residents sign away their finances to this man, Adam Jenkins, or to the retreat, I guess, the establishment, because it's the idea that they you don't need, the, the money is going to paying for the retreat and like, I guess, the upkeep. Uh, and I think there was something else about the, when you're at the retreat, that you only went by first names. And so that was part of the, the gravestone thing was the, mm. was only the first name because that's how they had just, I guess, decided to go by. Uh, so is any, is any of that kind of information kind of making you guys think in any certain specific ways or, or not yet? It's kind of still too, too much, <laughs> too little to go on. I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's like, well, we know what his involvement with her was. She is obviously grieving him. I say obviously, maybe, maybe not, but grieving him or his death and kind of had a crappy end. I don't know. Right. Like it seems more of like a story right now. I'm not quite sure. Totally, hundred percent. What needs to be <laughs> figured out? Maybe I don't know. I'm a little confused about the signing away your finances thing. Like, is it expected that once you join this retreat, you just you never leave? That is that's a very good question. It's it's very confusing right now. I think we're not really sure like that's that's part of it is Maisie is is confused herself like this is where she's like what's going on at this farm slash the retreat that's what she wants to know more about mm-hmm. okay. I mean it seems like a nice idea on the surface but it is a little shady right yeah you just sign away all your all your money but you yeah. can come and go as you please right and so I think that's Macy's thinking the same thing of like is is this what it is on the surface I think but she has a feeling in her gut that she doesn't she thinks there's more to it she thinks that something's going on in the background maybe back in the 20s (laughs) (laughs) and so to throw a little bit more into the mix so she gets she gets back to the office and she gets a call or she calls back this woman, Lady Rowan, who we're kind of getting the impression is a previous employer and maybe has some connection to her her previous the the Maurice Blanche who she had worked with previously. There's some connection between him and Lady Rowan as well. And Lady Rowan wants advice about her son James. She's she's extra worried. She knows Maisie is this kind of investigator. They have these this good relationship, Maisie and Lady Rowan. And Lady Rowan thinks that her son James is going to live on a farm in Kent, which is the same. Kent is also where the retreat is. And so oh, okay. it's it's now this idea of like, okay, and this comes up in lots of mystery books as well. Coincidences do happen, but is it just a coincidence that, that this, this farm in Kent has now been mentioned to Maisie twice in the span of 
a few days. Mm-hmm. I'm putting another pin so, in my map. So, um, <laughs> this, so this farm retreat thing is still happening even two years after Vincent has died? Yeah, it's so I don't I'm not sure how long Vincent had lived there before he had died, but uh, it seems that there it, yeah, it, exactly. We're there's no internet, so no way for Maisie to just look it up, but it does seem that James must it, they haven't specified that it's called the retreat yet. We're going to learn more from Lady Rowan in the future, but it seems that it's the same place. Okay. Interesting. Not that not that it's true. Again, I'll be very <laughs> careful with my geography assumptions here um but nether green and kent are on opposite sides of london so i'm confused <laughs> oh yeah interesting yeah kent, kent is like south east and nether green is very north okay a little bit west that is interesting because i feel like there is some kind of description in the book that they're near each other actually oh. you know what i take that back I take that back. Are I you think... sure? Because yeah, it would I... shatter my theory. <laughs> um, okay, I'll, I'll say it this way. I never looked it up, so I never knew. And so maybe the location didn't factor into the story as much. Okay, I'll search for another green in Kent. Okay. <laughs> Fun fact, that's where Alex's grandma is. That is a true fact. And Nether green? No. Kent. Kent. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no. No. Jokes. I actually am related to Vincent. I already know the story. It's just up to Shelly to figure it out. I'm just throwing her. Yeah, guys, sorry. I, I said this was fictional, but total lie. Surprise. I'm it's actually based off of Alex's family. Yeah. I, I looked it up. You're actually reading a novel under my pseudonym. Right. That I, that I <laughs> Well, Alex has been a writer since 2003 when he was six years old. Good for you, and congrats surprise. on your upcoming book in March. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so excited, but I wouldn't be excited because it's not my book. Or is it? <laughs> so this is this is an interesting part of the story because we're kind of left on this cliffhanger to a degree of, is James going to the retreat, the same retreat that Vincent was at? Is what is going on with this story? Uh you know, we've kind of finished with Celia and Mr. Davinjam, I would say. But where where is this story going? We're only like 100 pages in. That kind of feeling of 300. We're a third of the way through the story. Oh, damn. All right. Okay. Yeah, guys, buckle up. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's go. So, so at this point, we get into, we go back to spring of 1910. And this is, it's a period of the story, spring of 1910 to spring of 1917. And it's this is where I would say... We have left the mystery and we're into more of the historical fiction slash possible like love story-esque of the story. So turn your mystery caps off, keep them on pause, it will come back, and it's right. now more... Let's get uh, saucy. This yeah, is we're just... Story. Exactly. We're just enjoying <laughs> some like nice historical fiction, love story-esque. Uh, we're learning... 1910, Maisie Dobbs is 13. So we're learning about all oh, of Maisie Dobbs' okay. life. Not just... There's... Love story starts a while from now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. So Maisie is 13 and her, her mother has just passed away. And so at this... It's 1910. Her father, Frankie, doesn't know what to do with a girl of 13. Like, he's kind of like... He loves her, but he knows that he can't raise her, kind of give her the best life. 
And so he ends up getting her a job in service at Lady Rowan's house. So Lady Rowan, we've heard her name before. Mm. So this is where she factors in. She is the kind of the mm. first employer. And the idea, Maisie is like very bright. She's She's been in school. Of course, now she'll have to stop going to school. Uh, but she still, they still kind of have high hopes for her. And they're hoping she'll be able to go to night school at some point in the future while continuing her job. So Maisie, Maisie starts this job. She starts at 4.30 every morning where her first task is to light all the fires in every room in the house. And then she just kind of helps out around cleaning, uh, cooking, just kind of odd jobs as this, uh, I, I don't know what her title is, but some kind of maid, lower, because she's 13, she would have been the bottom of the totem pole at the house. Okay. And her she has a roommate, um, Anid, who's another maid who's been there for a while. She's about 16 and she seems she seems to be sweet on Master James, you know, possibly a crush there, something going on between uh, Anid, the maid, and the son, James, who is also some, maybe 18, somewhere around that age range. Okay. So Maisie, Maisie, as she's like lighting fires at the, or at these crack of dawn, 4.30 in the morning, she's in the library every day and she's fascinated by all these books, these books that she never has had been this close to. Like she's been able to go to the library, but it's not to be able to study Latin or think these kinds of books that are in the library. And so slowly day by day, she starts by just reading the titles and then she starts touching the covers. And at a certain point, she starts reading the books. She starts getting up actually at three to go read in the library for an hour and a half before she actually has to start her day. Okay. That's so, Wow. I know. It's, I wake up at nine. <laughs> Good point. It's, it's very, definitely, this is a different time. Very impressed with Maisie. Mm-hmm. 10 out of 10. Wow. <laughs> so it's many weeks later and Maisie can't sleep on this one day. So she decides to just go down at 2.30 just early because she couldn't sleep anyways you know okay. no big deal. uh this is 13 year old Maisie mm-hmm. and it happens that on that night that she decided to go down early the Comptons are getting home late from a night out at the theater or at a play or some kind of literary dinner or something of those kinds that they would have been at the Comptons are Lady Rowan and Lord Julian they're the the owners of the house and Lady Rowan happens, she wants to go up to the library to get a book to prove a point to her husband and her dinner guest, Maurice Blanche. So this is a friend of hers, Maurice. Mm. And so she gets to the library and kind of just watches this this young servant girl reading these books before eventually stopping her and telling her to go to bed and saying she'll deal with them in the morning. She's very impressed. And she feels this pressure of her duty as a kind of homeowner with her or duty as an employer, but also how impressed she is by this 13 year old reading Latin in order to un- better understand the physics and science books in the library. Okay. So it takes a nerve wracking week before Maisie knows what her fate has been. She's got a week thinking that she's gonna be fired when she gets introduced to Maurice Blanche, who is this friend of the Comptons. And he, he tells her that he wants to tutor her. He's gone over her notebooks, that she's been taking notes of these books, and they're all very impressed with what she's been able to accomplish on her own. And so they want to be able to give her more knowledge and understanding of these topics and get, kind of 
I think they're going to meet once every two weeks in the afternoon for a couple hours for him to, to give her assignments and um, more readings and that kind of thing. And this is the guy who ends up being her first yes. like, apprenticeship? Exactly. And so this it seems that this apprenticeship is kind of starting. He's tutoring her, but at the same time, he, she's learning from him. So it's, it's this apprenticeship that's starting at 13, in a sense. And, oh. and Marie says this... It's it's confusing about exactly what his job is. At some point, he it's kind of like, was he in the Secret Service? Like, what what is he capable of? Like, who is he advising? He's just this very smart, well-versed, well-traveled man who is probably capable of a multitude of things. So Maisie spends the next year just reading and learning with Maurice. And she's ba- they're basically preparing her for university is kind of the, the first end goal here. And sometime around that year later, when Maisie is maybe 14 or 15, Anid confirms, this is the roommate, that her and James have been together, but that it can never work out because of this class system. Like, he's, he's in this higher class, she's just a lowly servant, like this, it will never work out, and so it's this disappointment. And it turns out that the Comptons are actually sending their son James to Canada, basically to get him away from Anid. To Canada? Yeah. That's so far. Man, that's like across the ocean. Jeez. Yeah. It, it, they had the, you know, the, the separate purpose of Lord Julian's business. He had business in, inquiries or something like that in Canada that James was going to take care of. And so mm-hmm. that was the quote unquote purpose, you know? I see. It seems like it would have been easier to fire a maid than to send your son across the ocean. But no you're hey, totally you want. <laughs> you're totally right and anid kind of brings that up she's kind of like if you fired me you couldn't keep an eye on me james could still see me outside the house whenever he wanted and you wouldn't be able to do anything about it mm. whereas if they keep her in service they know exactly where she is all the time oh so this it, it's kind of too bad for Maisie in a way of course where this story is centered around her so we're getting her opinion but Anid starts to become very rude to Maisie. And it's this, this you know, she's been cut off from her her boyfriend, for lack of a better term. That's not what he, she would have called him, I'm sure, at the time. Her beau. Her beau. <laughs> and so she's being become really rude to Maisie. Like, uh, it's, and it, it, it turns into this kind of class struggle. And this is a lot of kind of these adults in Maisie's life, both Maurice, her father, Frankie. They've all been anticipating that at some point Maisie she's not going to fit into any class especially at this time it was so important she's not going to fit in the lower class isn't going to want to talk to her because she's going to be so well read she won't fit in with them but the upper class also won't want to interact with her because she's not born into them so she's going to be in this middle ground and they anticipate it being very difficult for her and so at the age of 15 it's already starting to happen with a nid but even though they've been together for like two years at this point Right, right. You'd think that they might like have some kind of a friendship going on, but it doesn't seem to matter. And How old is Anid? I don't know if you said that. But... She was 16 when Maisie was 13, so she's maybe 18 around there mm-hmm. some at this point. Okay. So she is older. Rude. Yeah. I know, and... right? <laughs> so rude. Yeah. It probably to do with is she's been you can you guys are, are long distance right now but imagine you couldn't you couldn't even write letters to each other necessarily. Yeah, I'd be oh, rude yeah. to people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might be a little mad, a little grumpy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry, Anid. I understand. 
I mean, like, you know, be nice to people, but, like, I get it. it. Right, right. And so that's what it seems, is that Anid has to force herself to put on this good face at work. And so then when she comes home to, or not even home, when she goes up to her room, because she doesn't really have any alone time, she she might doesn't want to have to see Maisie advancing in life when she can't. Jealousy. Yes, definitely jealous. So, so Maisie... I think Maisie ends up telling Maurice that she can't keep tutor like having this tu- like tutelage from him, and it's partly her dad has also been st- not treating her badly, but he's also starting to have difficulty with Maisie Maisie like using like bigger words in her vocabulary that maybe Frankie can't understand, and so there's there are there's scared. difficulties occurring there. Yeah, and that's exactly he's scared. He's scared about what's going to happen to his daughter, and so. He recognizes this, and so it causes Maisie to tell Maurice that she can't she can't keep going. And what what I think Lady Rowan and Maurice and and they have a conference, and they decide to offer Maisie a job at their country home because they are very rich, and so they have a country home, and it's with the um, the dowager something. It would have been like the mother in law or something. It would have been Lord Julian's mother. So she has been, she has the dowager house on their country home property where she lives, has retired to or something along those lines. And so she, they kind of say the dowager sleeps most of the time and would, you wouldn't, there'd be less pressure on you to be doing work. You could focus more on your studies and you'd be away from a lot of people. So there wouldn't be all this kind of class struggle. And so they're suggesting to Maisie, if you take this job, you can continue on. And she ends up taking it. Is she still seeing her dad then or is she like living full-time at this cottage home so so when she was in london she would have had one afternoon off a week which was sunday so she saw her dad for an afternoon every week when she's moved up to this country home she will not she will see her dad a lot less because the journey will be so much longer so yeah for for this where this country home is it's (laughs) it's also in kent it's it's somewhere in kent Okay. okay and so it's in January of 1914, Maisie takes the Cambridge entrance exam and she gets her, her acceptance in July. Uh, and this is, okay. I think she is young. 1914, how old would she be? 17. And so as Maisie is preparing for school, the war is kind of picking up across, across Europe and young men are starting to enlist to go to war. And so that's kind of going on throughout the summer. And because of this, a lot of the um, people working at this country home, at Lady Rowan's country home, like the stable men or gardeners or that kind of thing, are, are enlisting as well. And so she ends up offering Maisie's dad, Frankie, a job to live at the country home and help take care of the horses. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So there she's able to... Um, Maisie starts college at Cambridge College, where she or I guess at Cambridge, but at Girton College, which would have been the college for women. And so at this point, women still couldn't get degrees, but they could attend these these women's classes. So she theoretically would pass everything that she should get a degree because she did all the same courses and the same work, but will not get it because she is a woman. Because Yeah. So she starts at Girton College and she meets um, a girl in her dorm, Priscilla, and the, the school itself, schooling isn't as important, but at the end of the term, uh, Priscilla convinces Maisie to go to a party. She's been so studious all year. She's one of those people that is very, well, I mean, it, 
she's kind of leaving her class to a certain degree and going to this college. And so there's all this pressure from the outside and also within. And Priscilla convinces her to go to a party at the end of at the end of her second term, so around Easter. And it ends up being well, first of all, Priscilla tells Maisie she's not coming back to school. She's she's signed up to be an ambulance driver. There's there there's a female ambulance brigade for lack of a better better term that is training right now in England and will hopefully to be be deployed to France is what Priscilla is hoping for she has three brothers who are over in France and she just feels and I think a lot of people have this feeling of it's our duty if the if our boys have to be fighting it's our duty to be doing whatever we can to help out so it ends up being Captain Simon Lynch's send-off party. So he's the doctor that we kind of heard about at the beginning of the story. And Maisie loves it. She Priscilla lends her a dress. She kind of teaches her how to dance. This is the first, like the first and only party she's ever been to. And she she genuinely she laughs and dances and has a fantastic time before she she's going back home for the for the summer term. I guess this is like a fancy party. That would make more sense at the time. Yes, yes. Sorry. I, I was so, yeah. picturing like a like a frat party. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no, nothing, nothing good ever happens at parties for the first time. But no, this is a different kind of party. No, yeah, you're so right. Yeah, I should yeah. specify. It's like the the Captain Simon Lynch's parents are hosting this party for friends of the family, and so Priscilla is a longtime friend of Simon's and their family, and so she kind of brings Maisie along, um, which is goes totally fine. It's the idea of Priscilla is so well liked that any friend of Priscilla's is a friend of of Simon's. Okay, cool. Super wholesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so they get back in, in good time. And on her, on Maisie's way back to Kent the next day, she meets up with Anid at the train station. And Anid is um, sending James is leaving for the war at this, at this point in the, um, in the spring of 1915, I guess. And uh, Anid has since left her position in service at the Comptons, and she tells Maisie that she's actually working for a munitions factory nearby, and she's just been promoted to the highly explosive department. So she's getting paid a lot more, but it's also, it is more dangerous. Wait, did I completely miss something? <laughs> Sorry, maybe. What, what did I, I might have missed it. What did I, what do you, what do you have oh, a question about? Oh, no. Did James ever go to Canada? So James had been in Canada, but this is, um, Assuming this is like a like couple years year, onwards, right? right? Or maybe the next year? Um, Wait, I think I'm mixing up my years. Did he go in 14? He would have gone in 13. Or no, he would have gone okay. in 12, in 1912. Oh, oh okay, well. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it is confusing. So yes, he's back from Canada. Who, who knows how, he might have been there for a year. I'm not exactly, that's a good question. It, they do not go into okay, that with yeah. James. But so, so Anid and James are, are clearly, they've been seeing each other. And so she's sending him off to, at the train station. And she's kind of telling Maisie that she's not allowed to. She's not, the peop, the girls working at the munition factories, they're not supposed to leave their hostel. But she had snuck out. And then she quickly tells Maisie I, she had to go because her shift was starting. She was kind of already late for it. Uh-oh. So it, it's, it's the next day that Maisie gets the word that there was an explosion explosion at the munitions factory and she doesn't need to hear more to know that uh, that Anid was on that shift and oh, had died. Damn. So this is, that kind of side part of the story is important because it's what convinces Maisie that she cannot keep going to school, that seeing these people that are close in her life putting in this effort in the war makes her realize that she needs to be doing something as well she, in some capacity. 
And so it's May when Maisie signs up to be a voluntary aide at the hosp- hospital in London, feeling that she needs to do her part. And it is, it's shortly after that that she's promoted to a nurse in training. And uh, they're training her to go to the front in a year's time. Or to go to France is uh, probably more accurate. So it's July of 1916 when Maisie is sent to France with her fellow fellow nurses from the hospital. They're kind of all in a, uh, like a cohort system in a sense. And they stop in Rouen, which is, it's a, it's a base farther away from the front. Um, kind of like a, uh, it's where people would have had their leave. Um, and maybe where the higher up officers would have been staying and kind of giving orders to a degree. Like it's a convening spot before you actually get sent off to your... Uh, to your station like lower risk area too maybe? right yes yeah farther farther not not near the battlefield uh farther inland or, or i don't know what the terms would be but yeah safer okay. so who happens to be on leave at the hotel they're staying at at this time can you guess oh mr vincent warshaw maybe yeah shelly oh, cool. you have a guess oh sorry no i i was uh Oh. I'm um, not necessarily saying it's Vincent. That was just oh, a okay. sign of, a sign I heard you. Sorry, I've done this before. Sorry, I, I will Shelly, would you like to take a guess and then I'll tell you if you're right or wrong or not? <laughs> I mean, I think Vincent is probably the best guess. Okay. <laughs> Either Vincent or um Mr. Canada, what's his face? I forget his name. Oh James. James, James yeah. yeah. But I feel like he does he factor into the story? I feel like like that's I don't know. Well mm. we, we won't know yet. Oh, Okay. So <laughs> both both great guesses because they are both we know they're they're fighting. It ends up being Captain Simon Lynch, this man that she had met at oh. the send-off party. Mm. Okay. And it's this kind of idea that as they meet you can see that there's they're both very happy to see each other and he asks her to have dinner with him the next evening. And uh they have a really nice dinner together. They 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 clearly get on very well. And you can see, it's like described that they're sweet on each other. Like you can see that there's kind of some sparks going on between them. And mm. they agree to write letters to each other that will be able to be sent up and down the front because uh, Maisie is getting sent to a casualty clearing station. So she's the closest nurses can get to the front without actually being there. Mm. So as soon as Maisie and her fellow nurse get to the casualty clearing center, they're basically get off the train and are immediately put to work because it's just the war has been so devastating like i don't think at this point in the war necessarily the news i think the news was just starting to get back to england about how terrible it was uh but so they're seeing it firsthand um just terrible wounds i think the first person Maisie tends to dies with her holding his hand like just awful awful oh. stuff and so throughout all of this, Maisie and Simon are writing to each other. And it's one of those, like, the, the one solace they have. And they're getting to know each other and kind of falling in love through these leathers. And they manage to actually get leave at the same time and are able to go back to... They would have had, like, four days leave or five days, but it would have some travel time in between. So they're able to get two days with each other in England. And while they're back, um, they both meet each other's families kind of for, for meals and, and spend this great time together. And Simon asks Maisie to marry him. And she tells him that she wants to say yes, but she can't until the war is over because she needs to feel safe and be able to see their future together. And right now she just isn't at that point. It's very oh, responsible so of her. Sad, it is, but, but responsible. No, yeah, both, both of your reactions. Yes, but also very sad. And you mm-hmm. can... 
yeah, it's so tough. And, and you can just imagine that this was going on across the country. These kinds of conversations were happening. Mm-hmm. So they head back to the front, both kind of hoping, hoping they'll get, they're talking about the next leave that they have, hoping to see each other again. So it's at this point that we jump back to the summer of 1929. So we're, we've, oh, apparently that was the spring of 1917. So I'm off by a year uh, in the, in what things were happening. So Maisie, Maisie kind of is at the front in the 1917 or sometime. Actually, she could have been there for a year by the time she got leave. So maybe she did arrive yeah. in, in 16 and was working until 17. Okay. So, uh, so now we're back. Sorry, sorry to do this to you, but you kind of have to jog, I'll jog your memory. So we were, she's just discovered all this stuff about Vincent and Lady Rowan, who we now know a little bit more about, who she's worked for, has asked her to come advise her about her son, James, who is looking to go to a farm in Kent where other injured soldiers are living. Oh, that James. Oh. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's how James oh, wait, so he's him. injured now. So after post-war he, he is suffering some kind of injury he does not have the same like facial injuries as um some other members uh, some other soldiers coming home a lot of i'm sure you guys can imagine this because we've all like from history class or that kind of thing all these soldiers that were suffering from shell shock or just all these other mental disabilities that weren't even diagnosed at the time or known about that people were suffering from mm-hmm. ptsd like just all that kind of stuff yeah. So he was more there for like mental reasons as opposed to physical. So James hasn't gone to the farm yet or gone to the retreat, or at least we, we think it's the same thing. But it does sound like his injuries are more mental than physical. He might have okay. some physical injuries as well. I think he did. He was injured. He had shrapnel injuries, Oof. but not not the kind of devastating, can't use your losing a leg, losing an arm kind of injury. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Maisie arrives at the Comptons to see Lady Rowan, and of course she's very worried about her son James. She's, it's 1929, like it's it's 10 years after the war, but it's, you can imagine, of course, all the effects are still there. You're, they're still dealing with this trauma. And so she's been worried about her son for some time because it's not, it's not the same James that she had known growing up, which of course it wasn't. And she she basically, she knows that there's no convincing James not to go to this farm, but she wants Maisie to find out more about it so she can feel more comfortable about what it is and, and safer in the idea of her son going off to this place. Mm-hmm. She's also concerned, and we've kind of, you guys, we've we've touched on this, Lady Rowan is concerned about why they have to give away their money or why they have to give up their finances. Like, she's worried about that aspect of things, of why mm-hmm. is it relevant. I'm assuming that that he wouldn't be giving away the estate, right? Like, it's just going to be his personal finances, not the family. Yeah, does that extend to the family? (laughs) Good question. And I think uh, Lord Julian at this point is changing, I think, their will and things like that, such that, Uh. yeah, just in case. They're not sure. They're not sure what this signing over your... It's like, I think it's the idea that the estate, the, the, the retreat has, yeah, control over your finances. So theoretically, if you came into money it would go to the estate. It is, or the retreat, sorry. It is confusing. And that's part of why they want Maisie to find out more about it. Mm. So um, Lady Rowan ends up lending Maisie her car so that she can go out to Kent. So now we know her father is still working at the stables. He's continued working there after the war. So he's out in the country in Kent. The retreat is in Kent. And Maurice, her old kind of boss or partner has retired to the uh one of the houses on 
on the country estate in Kent of Lady Rowan's. So it's like a, a triple threat journey. <laughs> so she speaks, she strikes by speaking with Maurice, who agrees that she's kind of on the right path. He, he feels that even though no one has hired her necessarily to find out the truth about the retreat, he also feels in his gut that there's something there. So now we're getting even more into what is going on with the retreat. We know nothing about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I will, I will help you out. We are going to the retreat next. Maisie is paying them a visit. Sweet. All right. (laughs) Thank goodness. (laughs) Here come the details. (laughs) I hope so. Anyways, (laughs) I'm kind of lost. So, well, it is to a degree. So the next day she visits the retreat and there's a gatekeeper to let her in because it isn't, they don't allow just anyone to come in there there is a you kind of have to either have an appointment or or be allowed in and so she tells them uh she says that she's coming to see if this is a good place for her brother who was a soldier to stay and so the gatekeeper tells her to wait and he goes to get major jenkins who is who is the um i think it was adam jenkins was his first name that we kind of learned about earlier in the book he's the founder of this place major jenkins and she tells him that she's looking for a place for her injured brother until he heals and at this point she's pretending that billy is her brother billy beal the assistant that we've met before Mm -hmm. and she asks major jenkins why everyone at the retreat goes by first name and he tells her that it's a stark they do it because it's a stark contrast to the discipline of the battlefield and it makes them feel less of a number because in the war they were stripped of their name. They might have just been called corporal or called by their rank and they were treated as a number. They weren't treated as a human being. And so the idea is this first name basis allows them to feel feel more like a person. That's a good reason. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, so she's she's she kind of is it's this interest of like, it does make sense. It could legitimately be the reason, but at the same time, I'm not convinced. (laughs) Yeah. And neither is she. She's not totally convinced by it. She also is, she's just troubled by everything because the farm is apparently self-sufficient because they all, they do, they do a lot of labor on the farm as a, as kind of a healing process as well. Something to allow these people to take their minds off of what's going on or their troubles. And so technically they're self-sufficient. So why are they asking everyone to pool their money together? Like who she's kind of wondering where is the, who's earning interest on all this money that's been pooled together. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, they might pull from it at times if there's like extra expenses on the farm, but otherwise why it's is going it necessary? Into someone's account and it's probably a lot. Right. Right. <laughs> with all these people. Fishy. Right. There's also this idea that guests are free to leave at any time, and there's apparently paperwork to show that they get their they'll get their money back when they leave if they if they feel healed, but few guests have ever left, and so that's weird as well. Mm. This just kind of like fishy circumstances. Interesting. So I I didn't know before that you actually could leave if you wanted to. It sounded more right. like it was a sign your sign your life over and that's it. Sure. Yeah. Like <laughs> monastery esque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there is this idea that there you, it's te- it could be temporary. Like you're here to heal, and once you've healed, you can theoretically leave. But I guess Major Jenkins is kind of saying people don't normally choose to leave because they like the life here. That's that's what he's saying. Because they'll get, I don't know, because they'll get killed if they leave. 
Mm. I'm thinking this is an entire like hit operation. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is this is this is the point where it's like, yeah, if you have any any theories whatsoever that's making you think of there, they could be possible. This is kind of a, the shot in the dark type of oh. mystery. You know <laughs> I'm how sorry. in the beginning, you know how in the beginning of this podcast, I was saying, oh, like I feel like this is even better because I just shoot random things out anyway. Right. I, I take that back. I don't even know <laughs> which direction to shoot random ideas out at right now. Yeah. yeah. If it if it helps, I've read I read the book and had all of the facts, and I had no idea what was going on. So it's not it's not you guys. I feel like that's just how the book is written. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely think there's something up with this with this retreat place. Like for all the points that you're making, if they're self sufficient, why do they need so much money? Right. Um, and you know, why is it that you have to sign away all your finances and it's not just like a payment? Because if they're self-sufficient, but they would need things, need to cover costs every now and then, there's not necessarily a need to have ownership over somebody's estate while they're there. Yeah, you might just charge a fee, like you you pay rent even, right? Yeah, and I mean, if if people are saying that they would they would choose to stay here, even like they would choose to stay because they like it so much, like mm-hmm. how how did vincent died beside a stream like was he not taken care of or i completely forgot about how he died oh right? my goodness he died yeah at the at the farm right just like yes yeah he died at the just farm just like chilling on the side of a stream no more so and, and that is a good point i think his death was ruled an accident but there there was some kind of hinting of it could be suicide like there is this up in the air feeling about yeah, it. yeah yeah because we discussed earlier about maybe if it was suicide like I don't know. First impressions is that this kind of living environment might not be amazing, but right, which right. would which would maybe make sense with a suicide angle. But if it is amazing, I don't know. Seems like why why would he die unless, like like he said, he actually just like couldn't breathe or something. Is this like a Jamestown cult thing? What like, is this entire <laughs> place just a freaking cult, and you Where, can't get out? What What do you mean by Jamestown? Yeah, you I thought oh, Jamestown was just. Oh, Jamestown was just like a, a very famous, like that's the Cooley place. Like don't just, oh. isn't that where that saying comes from? I'm going to look that up. Wait, hold on. <laughs> the, what? Uh, the cooling place? The cool aid place. Cool. Oh. I don't remember. Yeah, Jonestown. Oh, Wait, did I, I say I, Jamestown? I meant Jonestown. Jonestown. Okay. I, know, I know what you Oops. mean. Yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Just a big like the, basically, yeah, like once you enter you kind of get brainwashed and then like maybe that was his like sacrifice attempt maybe, maybe not okay. sacrifice but maybe or he they... was trying to get out and they just didn't let him yeah yeah it's possible what what if everybody who went there because there's money tied up and it got evolved in something bigger than they thought yeah they, yeah they i mean that, of like, they couldn't just you know peace out yeah yeah i mean like that's my main that's the only link I have. Like they're they're so stuck there because of the money, and I feel like a lot of times that's how maybe that's how cults get you. Yeah, like, it's it's probably it's like some weird ritual thing. Like it it feels like when you say retreat, it's like like it's not a retreat, right? Like even just it's, the name kind of gives this insinuation. Yeah, retreat yeah, assumes okay. that you're there for a temporary amount of time. Yeah. And and so to give a little bit more context, that's what this was based off of. Apparently, there were these retreats in France where it was more of 
they set up these camps for for wounded soldiers where it was more of a, a vacation like they would only be there for a couple weeks but this guy major jenkins has taken the right the idea further to be a a full-time living situation interesting hmm. yeah so we are we, we will learn a little bit more kind of as we get into it so yeah keep all of that in mind i think i think those are good theories all right are you still taking notes dear no. Okay. <laughs> Me neither. I gave up at probably the like the eighteen minute mark. <laughs> I gave up at Vincent. <laughs> Fair. At Vincent. Oh, no. okay. Wait. Do I actually? Let me check my notes to see if I even have his name down. I don't, I don't even have Vincent down in my notes. So ah, okay. Good. Clearly, that strategy wasn't going to work for us. We're just gonna have to rely yeah. on our massive brains to figure this out. Oh no! <laughs> Luckily, there's two of you, so some of you will remember. One of you will remember some facts. The other will remember the other facts. It's okay. Alex, you remembered 100% of them, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, dear, don't rely on me like this. <laughs> I have such a bad memory, especially when it comes to just like getting or understanding information, just like audially. Yeah, I'll try to remember yes. all the names and like. <laughs> and you know like oh. interesting details you remember the numbers because you know i can't remember numbers for the life of me sweet i don't like, think every time a kid a single, like, oh wait it's like no, oh it's years. 1917 now and i'm like really <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what time it was for the last 20 minutes so, <laughs> yeah uh you can also mm-hmm. like ask me questions i will i'm fine to fill you guys in yeah sorry i feel like i've been like super silent this time because i just have no clue what's going on. No, that's fair, and it is. I kind of part of me just wanted to tell you guys a story. I just genuinely really like the story, so yeah. th- I okay. think this is okay. And listeners at home, if you have thoughts and feelings about this kind of a format, let me know whether you like it or don't like it. You can email me at Tuesday Night Mystery Club at gmail.com or send me a DM on Instagram, which is Tuesday Night Mystery Club on Instagram. You'll there you go. slide in those DMs. Do yeah, <laughs> what an organic plug (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you very wholesome yeah that's an interesting uh interesting method very pensive i find like i've been sitting here with my hands on my temples for the last hour (laughs) just like trying to take it all in you know yes exactly Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah i mean this isn't necessary i won't get into it but i'm i am just trying to tell you a story part of it and then there's some mystery elements (laughs) Yes. Which we're kind of getting into now. I like it. We can do this, dear. I have so much faith yes. in us. <laughs> I think we right. just have to relax. Well, Probably. Okay. Well, that, that, that might be hard. But I believe oh. we're an unstoppable <laughs> team. We can do this. So I'll, I'll keep going. I'll give you some more in- info. Okay. So Maisie goes back to London. She's kind of, that. she's gotten this first impression of the retreat, but she knows she needs like an inside man. And so she's given the name Billy to be her brother and so now she has to ask billy if he's okay being involved <laughs> oh, in she didn't even clear this with him right yeah All right. and he does agree and he basically says i'm i'm so like i i told you i'd do anything for you as he had recognized her when he had first met her as this nurse with a doctor and so he agrees to go and they kind of get into he tells her that this is the first time he's been out of london since the war so in the last 10 years And he kind of tells her that he hopes he'll sleep better. And so he gets into this story of he hasn't slept well since he's returned, like since before the war, because he just, every time he closes his eyes, he sees the battle or he smells the gas and he'll wake up. Even if he's able to fall asleep, he'll wake up not being able to breathe. 
Mm, and so he finds scary. himself. Yeah, it is. It's it's really terrible. And he kind of describes how he knows it's not just him because he'll get up in the middle of the night to go for a walk and he'll see all these other men who are of his age oh, out for a walk as well. And they all know that it's, they're all, they all can't sleep. That is depressing. Oh my goodness. It, it note, is. Though, I have another theory. Yeah. Is it like a drug place? Like they give you pills or whatever so that you can sleep. So like they are kind of treating you so you never oh. want to leave. Yeah. But it's just, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. That's all I have. Well, drugs. That's, that's an interesting theory. <laughs> yeah, keep in mind. Add it to the list. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so he, he agrees and he's kind of a little bit hopeful that, yeah, maybe this, this different setting might change things. And it it forces it's forcing Maisie to kind of remember how she felt when she had come home and how she had Maurice had kind of almost forced her to a degree to repeat her story over and over again because part of like a healing process is recounting what had happened to you to to give it less impact on your life because you've you're going to you're going to relive it in your dreams you're going to relive it over and over again and it's if you can get to a point where you've done it enough times that it has less impact on your life. And so forcing yourself to do it up front, he was kind of saying, is part of healing. Right. Um, and so this is, it, it. we're slowly getting at what was, we do, what is Maisie's story? We don't know yet, but we're, we're, we're kind of seeing that there's something more there. Can I just like jump in for a second? Yes. Didn't we say at the beginning that Vincent was like a, a lover? of Maisie like way back way back when so Vincent Celia. had no yeah Celia Vincent Maisie knew nothing about Vincent but Celia had oh, been sorry. in love with with uh yeah. with Vincent oh okay I'm getting confused that's all right that's all right we keep going okay <laughs> yeah because we went through like all of Maisie's story and I was like where's Vincent right where did he go but no you're right and it's kind story. of two separate yeah it's like two separate stories that are both happening at the same time mm-hmm. kind of in parallel so they get they get back to kent they get to the retreat and uh billy throughout the war had run telephone lines that had been his job and so he breaks into there's a phone box at the the back this is the retreat is kind of this huge farmland so it's 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 pretty massive but at the back of it there's a phone box that he's able to break in and he runs his own phone line and attaches it to to a telephone so if it's this idea of ever he needed Maisie, he could go out the back, kind of climb over the fence and call her. And it not be like a Is monitored it? call or something? Right, yeah. It's it's outside of the retreat, so he's able to do it. Okay. So they also agree that they're going to meet every day at 7 p.m. at this like designated spot near this phone is kind of what they decide. And this is this is partly so that uh, Billy can report back about what's going on and okay. also so that Maisie knows that he's all right or, or if he needs help or if he needs to leave for any reason. So when they actually get to the retreat, Major Jenkins ha- has them come in. Um, there, It's William Dobbs is the name he is going under. And he has them kind of signing all the paperwork for for kind of giving over his finances, basically. And, and Maisie has... He, Billy didn't have a bank account up until a few days ago. Maisie has created it and put money into it in order for this <laughs> for this purpose. Yeah, yeah right. So it's not Billy's money that's I was being given say, away. What a what a gracious guy. Just like yeah. willing to put it down for her. Right. So it's not it's not that far. And so 
Jenkins has them signing paperwork and having tea. And it's, it's Maisie notices right away that he offers Billy a seat right beside the window. So he's in the full strength of the sun and he'll have to shade his, shade his eyes with his hand, the same hand that he needs to be able to drink, like drinking the tea from. And so she can see that Jenkins has put Billy in this kind of interesting situation. And 10 minutes into their conversation, he kind of quote unquote recognizes that Billy must be in discomfort and has him move to, to a different area in the room. And so Maisie is wondering if either is this a tactic where he's immediately playing the savior or was it a genuine mistake? Like, did he actually not realize that Billy was uncomfortable? Seems like an odd thing to do to put someone in a position to make them uncomfortable, especially if they're um, an injured war vet, you know, to do that intentionally. If he did it intentionally. Uh, Maisie is also noting that why why does he go by Major Jenkins when everyone else is going by first names? Ooh, that's true. <laughs> right. So there is now now Billy is kind of on his own, but Maisie is taking note of these things before she is asked to leave, basically, and she heads home or heads to heads to the country home in Kent. So she's nearby. She she wants to be near at hand if Billy needs help. So on the third day that Billy is there, they meet, and Billy kind of says that he hasn't seen anything suspicious, um, but there is one guy who is kind of saying that he wants to leave. Uh, he's, he's basically, he feels healed, he's ready to go home, uh, but that Major Jenkins wants him to take some time to think about it, like not leave yet. And so Maisie kind of puts that to Billy saying, isn't that a little strange? And Billy counters that the way the way Jenkins is making it seem is that there have been people in the past who have regretted their decision once they've gotten back to society. And so he asks everyone to kind of really think about their decision before actually making the jump. Hmm. So that that seems odd to, to Maisie. And later later that day or that week, Maisie and Maurice are going through the coroner's reports because it kind of and we, we only vaguely touched on this, but they're in the same cemetery that Vincent was buried, there were several men that just went by first names. So presumably all had been at the same retreat. Mm-hmm. And it turns out there has been a lot of deaths at the retreat. And Ooh. so they're going through the, the coroner's reports and they're finding that although people, they all died from different circumstances, a lot of them were, they all happened at 5 a.m. Or that's when the death certificate was given. And oh Whoa, that's super sus. The, the guy who was always seemed to be on duty at this time of day and just happened to be in the a- area was a man called Armstrong Jenkins. Whoa. Wait. wait, 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 wait. Armstrong Jenkins. That's the same initials as Adam Jenkins, AJ. Right. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't know what to make of that yet, but I'm going to make something I mean, like you're one step ahead of me. I only remember the Jenkins part. <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> the first name. Yeah, I don't know if it means anything yet, but I'm going to... Right. I'm yeah. Keep so, that one on my on my notes. I'm gonna start taking exactly... notes again. <laughs> oh, whoa. Okay. Damn. Okay. It just got it just got real. <laughs> so so Maisie and Maurice are kind of they are also just intrigued about this and and are just they're just looking into things, looking more into what's going on. So at the at the week mark that Billy has been there a week, Maisie asks about that that. So that man, that guest that had wanted to leave. And Billy Billy kind of says that it's interesting. He hasn't seen him in a few days. Uh, he He's not sure what's happened to him. He kind of suggests that maybe he wants some time to himself, that that kind of happens if a, if a guest wants to be on their own. But then he also thinks it's weird because the guy had been 
planning to leave, so it, it would seem weird that he'd need time to himself when he's going to be leaving shortly anyways. Did he, he did. already leave, maybe? I don't think so. Or Billy doesn't think so. It doesn't seem like it. Maybe he left this world. Hmm. That's a little he sus. Did. I don't know. He did. Yeah. <laughs> Shelly's calling it here. You, you called it, Shelly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think he's a, I think he's a no more. Okay. Okay. So at this point, Maisie calls up the Comptons. So Lord Julian had been um, part of the war office during the war. And so she kind of hopes that he'll have records on Major Jenkins' war history. And he agrees to send them over the following day. And one of the things that he immediately finds interesting is that Jenkins had never been a major. His, his highest rank he had reached was lieutenant. And he had been, they, they named the hospital he had been at, but it was a specific hospital for people suffering from shell shock. Wait, was he, was he a patient in the hospital or was he working there? Yes. No, no. He had come back from the war. He had come back from the war and had, had gone to this hospital, but had then been discharged. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a hospital, okay. not necessarily for like more of a mental, um, mental hospital. It wasn't for physical injuries. It was it was specifically for people that they deemed had shell shock, which again is probably PTSD, is what we call it now, mm-hmm. or or a myriad of other mental um, disorders. Yeah. So, it's some days later when Maisie sees she's been seeing every day, but on this specific day, Billy informs her that the the man who had wanted to leave hasn't been around. So he's continued to not be around, and he's checked the there's like a sign out book. Um, at the gate and the man has not left he has not signed out so he's sure he's pretty sure he's still on the property and but now he's finding it weird that he hasn't seen him in a while sorry how many days has this been um maybe he hasn't seen the guy for a little under a week five or six days Mm. it's not specified we're not exactly sure okay that's odd that is odd yeah and we're also getting the impression billy Billy really likes Jenkins and he thinks that Maisie is on the right. He's kind of telling her, he's like, I, I think you must be wrong in some point. Like Jenkins seems to be a really great guy. What he's doing for these people is like really admirable. Oh, he's drinking the Kool-Aid. She's getting sucked into it. Well, so yeah, Maisie's worried about him. Like she, and she kind of, but she also, she doesn't want to force Billy to do anything he doesn't want to do. So she's like, I'm glad you're enjoying your stay here because she does want him to be having a relaxing time or a rejuvenating time. Mm-hmm. And, as much as possible and so she kind of says you know keep your eyes open if you see anything your ears open but also yeah try and enjoy yourself does he say anything about what they actually do at the at the, at the retreat like yeah so they're they operate as a farm so they do a lot of uh they're kind, they're kind of working all day but then they'll come home and there's some game snooker i think they were playing they have like okay. snooker tournaments uh they're probably playing cards like just jovial things after work i i don't think there's any there's no they say there's no doctor on staff so there's not there's not really any treatments that they're doing there's nothing specific they're just kind of living their lives in a out of the way place interesting they don't have any doctors on site right so and and to that point this is another thing that's kind of worrying billy he says that a doctor had just arrived that evening and he looks exactly like major jenkins but a bit taller so oh. Maisie says, I know who that is. It's the, I already forgot the other A name. <laughs> Armstrong. Uh, Armstrong. Armstrong Jenkins. Yeah. Well, because I'm just thinking, <laughs> who signs the, the death certificate center if there's no doctor? Like, do they get somebody, a third party to come in every time? 
Right. And so it is that it's that there is no death examiner or whatever examiner. It's the coroner and the coroner is Armstrong Jenkins. Oh, oh, damn. Hmm. Wait, okay. So when you said every time it was the shift, like 5 a.m., it was the shift of Armstrong Jenkins. Was it the shift of the coroner or like the shift of when these men were doing the work when they supposedly died? Right. No, no. They would not have been working at that time. They would have been working regular hours. Like what you could expect during the like sun daylight, uh, it was the coroner. He would have been the coroner for that county, and so it would have been his. He would have been. On, I don't know what that means. He would have been on duty at that time. Oh, okay. Because I I thought you were saying that all of them died around five a.m. at the same time. Oh right, yeah. So they all yes, all of the the death certificates were signed for them to have died around dawn, around five a.m. Oh okay. So, so it is all weird. signed by the same guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Who has the same last name. Same initials, right. maybe that's not super relevant, but were there any family traditions? Oh, you know what? There, this may be a long shot, but has everybody here watched Bridgerton? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Well, in, <laughs> like, the... in like older, older times than the time period we're in right now, it was, it was not uncommon for families to name um, the, the male child the male children of the family with all with the same first name or sorry, not first name, same with um, the same letter. So sure, like yeah. they would all be, they would all have the same letter. So, I mean, maybe it could be obvious that Armstrong and Adam Jenkins are brothers because of the last name, but even more so because their first names both start with a sure. Okay. Oh, okay. And they could be operating like, you know, in sequence because if he's always the one who signs the death certificates and is always on shift when, um, always on shift and this guy owns this place this could be like a closed operation you know maybe they're getting people to sign over their finances and then killing them to take all their money sure yeah maybe yeah i i agree with that okay yeah yeah that's that's the best idea i've gotten so far according to okay, myself good. so yeah well yeah and yeah. so as we as we kind of yeah get these more little details it's easier to kind of put them together and and come up with it with an idea mm-hmm. so so we've just found out about billy has kind of informed us that this this new doctor has arrived who looks like jenkins we're pretty sure it's armstrong jenkins this coroner and at this point i think uh, it's partly because billy is feeling he's feeling he's thinking about the war as they, I feel like they always are. And he, he, he kind of, not that he feels indebted, but he's doing this kind of for Maisie, but he still feels like Jenkins is not like a bad guy. Like he still has that feeling. And so he kind of tells her, he tells Maisie that he's surprised that she isn't dead after what happened. And so she ends up, I think in this kind of show of solidarity, it shows him the scar on the back of her head that runs kind of from the nape of her neck up into her skull. And she's saying, like, I have long hair, so I'm able to cover it. So you couldn't have known. Wait, Wait, what happened? Yeah, I'm confused. What happened to her? We don't know. Billy has just, he's just said, after what happened, I'm surprised you're not dead. And so we are kind of left with, yeah, what happened? Good question. Okay. Yeah, I was totally lost for a second there. I thought that you might have said that when I cut out, when I lost my internet. (laughs) No, Oh my goodness, I missed so much. (laughs) You missed nothing. It is this kind of, like, thrown out of, like okay, what are we missing? We're missing something. We were going to find something out because I don't know what they're talking about. 
Could you repeat that again then? So she has a scar running from like all down the back of her neck or her head? No, no, no. It kind of like starts at like the nape of, like, would you call it the nape of your neck? Like it's through her, kind of her skull. Like it's on the back of her head where her hair, like her hair covers it. Oh. And so she's, it's this, I, I think it's kind of going into this idea of like we, a lot of us have invisible wounds, physical or mental. And Maisie has them as well. I see. wonder how she would have gotten that if she was working... Well, she was working relatively close to the front lines. Yeah, she was... At, like, as we said, she was the closest that the nurses could get to the, the the front lines. Yeah. Do we know anything about, like, when she got it? Is it a recent wound? It sounds like the way they're talking about it, that it's a war wound. Like, this is her... Oh, okay. One of... Billy, you know, has his leg injury. All of these soldiers that are at the retreat have their, whatever their injuries may be. And Maisie has her own injuries. It's just not, she's not affected in society by them because it's covered by her hair. Okay. So, so why did Billy bring this up again? I think I just, sounds, just didn't get that part. It, it's a little, it is a little confusing in the story as well. But the idea you kind of get is that Billy, Billy feels like Jenkins is a good guy but he's going to continue doing this for Maisie because because he respects her. He respects that, like, the doctor that had, and Maisie would had fixed his leg in the war. And um, he, he'll finish the job, but he's almost bringing it up as, like, a... I think it's just... They're, they're just always talking about the war. And so we're... Uh, I know that's I, this isn't the best answer, but it is kind of... It's confusing in the book, too. It's obviously... She writes it better than I'm telling the story, but... Um, it is kind of brought up a little bit out of the blue, in a sense. Okay. Well, we have the information. We'll just sit on it for now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> See exactly. See where it goes. Yeah, hold on to that. So it's 4.30 that morning, 4.30 a.m., that Maisie gets a call, and she immediately knows it's Billy. Who else could it be? 4.30? And this is half an hour before 5 a.m. It is. Do you, I guess, let me stop here and kind of, that everything's starting to unfold at this point. So I guess, what do you think is going to happen? Or or um, what do you think? You've, you've kind of given kind of where your guess is at. Has your guess changed in any way? Or what are you thinking? Um, immediately, I, I don't know why Billy would be in any immediate danger unless Adam Jenkins knows that he's talking to somebody outside about what's going on inside because he hasn't like he's actually enjoying himself and finding it helpful sure yeah and he hasn't made any indication that he wants to leave which was sort of the trigger of all the weird stuff happening to this other guy mm -hmm. um but we also don't necessarily know that that was the start of the end for um vincent hold mm. on Mm -hmm. So, because there was never any indication that he wasn't enjoying himself there, right? I mean, like, I imagine if he only died two years prior, he, he must have been there for a while, es especially if he sort of knew Jenkins and was there when it started. I agree. I agree. I think there is, it is that feeling that he had been there for a few years at least. But then it would be hard to, maybe, maybe a separate from all the facts, it would be hard to be there and not maybe make a couple connections just on your own sure of people yeah. saying they want to leave and then getting killed but we don't yeah, necessarily know while. that that's the that's like the truth but yeah if True. you've been there okay. for a long time you might be able to see those things mm -hmm. i don't think my guess has changed so much my my that's immediate fair. thoughts is that people are coming there signing their money away and then for one reason or another getting killed and then losing their assets basically preying sure. on vulnerable people but yeah 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 that's my guess right okay. now 
and, and Shelly, are you in agreement? Agreement. Oh, so, <laughs> is this like the end of the book, or are we're we nearing pre- yeah. the end? We're we're nearing the end. We're very close to the end of the book. I'm just so confused by where the love story is in this. Like, I just I keep going back to that, and I can't it's, think of. No, okay. I, I'm sorry. I I sh- I didn't mean to skew your your guessing. Oh, the no. love story <sighs> isn't as much in the mystery. The love story was oh. it's Maisie Dobbs's love story. With her, oh, with see. um, with uh, What's Captain Simon, Simon Lynch. yeah, Simon Lynch, Captain Simon Lynch. Yes. That's so. It's kind of two separate stories, I would say. Oh, okay. Do okay. we know where Captain Simon Lynch is now? Has there been any mention to that recently? Uh, we don't know. No. Oh, okay. Mm. I'm not sure. You got any guesses, dear? I'm I'm not quite sure. Other than what I'm I've already said. I'm really confused. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like for him to be able to call her at 4.30 means that he was able to either overhear something about something that's happening at, or like maybe maybe a death occurred at 4 or like very recently and mm. the coroner's coming at 5 or something. Yeah, something has that. to have happened, right? Yeah. Or, or something's about like, to happen. Well, mm-hmm. I feel like if something's about to happen, like how could he have gotten away to make that call mm. without him being in danger? Sure. Well, maybe it's not him in danger, though, right? Because we haven't heard anything about this other guy disappearing, although we did see that the, the coroner apparently came by. But oh, I yeah, don't know. Did, did we get any, like, results? Or not results, but, like, did we get any kind of feedback from that coroner visit? Well, so it's 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 only a few hours later. Like, she had visited with Billy at 7 oh. p.m., he had told her that the coroner had showed up. Maisie at that point did tell Billy, I'm I'm taking you out. You're not staying there any longer. And oh. he kind of fights back that he wants to stay. Oh, so everything's like pretty fast paced at this point. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now we're we're into we're into a few hours at a time. So it's four thirty AM. She's just seen him at seven PM. So nothing we don't know about what's happened with the coroner. We just know that he's there. Oh. I see. I so I can't like assume that or, or sorry, sorry, dear, you were talking. What what were you saying? organ donation and harvesting (laughs) maybe i just actually yeah like a lot of things the the death report that feels wrong to say um the report of vincent's death listed like like that's the entire report is written by the coroner right Right. and like does anybody else even like analyze the body it doesn't seem like it no probably not at this time yeah because like they can just make up whatever they want in that case and like who knows if some if you're like missing a limb or missing anything if you were shot in the head like it, is any of that known yeah no the the bodies oh. would be seen by the family so it doesn't oh, look like okay none of the deaths no there's i no one would be analyzing the bodies that closely but no they you, they would see if there was any any of those kinds of um Uh-oh. okay so it still has to be a little sneaky yeah and may, this could just be my ignorance but like were they doing organ transplants at this time oh i don't know i also <laughs> don't know illegal <laughs> things that it could have like it's gotta be some sort of <laughs> underground ring right <laughs> maybe well, i mean there's got to be a purpose behind it all right and more often than not it's money related so yeah sure you yeah. could definitely make a lot of money stealing people's organs today but 
Um, <laughs> I don't know if they were doing like, organ transplants hey. in the twenties, but maybe there there is money involved. Like they just are signing over their finances. Yeah. The money is the money's there too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it like sexual assault ring? <laughs> I'm really grasping at straws here. I, <laughs> like, like other than what we've already said, I don't really, I don't think I have any like any more. Sure. Ideas. Yeah. Okay. No, that's totally fair. Okay. This is definitely, it's not, it is, it's not the same kind of whodunit. It is more. It's a what's going on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so just before we jump back in that, I, I, I want to take a stab and say that I, I don't think Billy is in any immediate danger or at least he's not the target right now, but maybe he's seen something or heard something that could put okay. him in potential danger. And that's why he's getting up to call so right. early. I mean, my thinking right. is that either mm-hmm. he's calling because he knows he's in immediate danger or he's calling before everybody else is up to try and not be noticed, right? Because he has to jump over a fence or something to get this to this phone yes. where he can call. Right. Yep. Okay. So do you want to hear what happens on this phone call? Yes, please. Yes. Okay. Very excited <laughs> for this. So, so it's 4.30, Maisie gets this call and he tells her that he has seen, he had seen them dragging the body or that man out of one of the buildings. He had seen the face. He knows it's the guy because the, the light was shining out of the door and he had seen his face clearly. And so that had con- caused him to kind of immediately run as quickly as he could to the phone. And so she asked him, like, she's very concerned and, and basically getting ready to get in the car and go out to him. And she gives him instructions on what to do next, like where to meet her and how to get there in order to not be seen. And she, her and her and uh, Maurice are up and immediately get in the car and head out towards Billy as they hang up. Moments after Billy has hung up the phone, he's, he's struggling with his leg. It's kind of at this moment decided to cramp up. And so he's not able to kind of run or, or move at the same pace that he could when he hears a, a t- twig snap. Mm. And it, it's it's moments later that Adam Jenkins and a, and company basically and a few other of the of the guests have have come on to him, and, and Adam a few Jenkins, other of the guests. Whoa, are people in on this? It's a cult, right? <laughs> so it it's, it seems like it must be, or there something's going on. These these kind of longer staying people, and um, Jenkins says to him that desert, desertion is the worst offense by a soldier. Oh, <laughs> oh shoot. shoot! That's crazy. So Maisie and Maurice get to the phone, and they can tell there's been kind of a scuffle, and so Maurice stays at the phone to call the police, and Maisie immediately just runs onto the grounds because she knows Billy's kind of in 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 a desperate situation. And so she finds, she runs past the buildings and notices that no one's in them. And so she, she can knows, she knows that Jenkins is going to make an example out of Billy. That's what's going on right now. And so she finds everyone sitting in chairs in front of a platform and there's like a quarry area of the, of this farm. And at the, at that moment, they're leading Billy up to the platform where there is a noose hanging in the center of the platform. Whoa, what the heck? So. took a turn. Yeah. Okay. They said that Vincent couldn't, it, he may have died because he couldn't breathe, right? Right. Yep. Oh, damn. Asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So, so Maisie has no idea what to do. There's no way she can approach the platform without being seen. She knows she kind of has to make a bold move. And there's this idea of like, you have to fight like with like. So she has to do something similar to what they're doing in order to fight this situation. 
And so what she decides to do is she remembers when she was a nurse, the soldiers had these songs that they sung to kind of keep spirits up. And the nurses, when they saw them, would sing the songs with them as a, like, joining in to, again, keep spirits high. And so she she squares her shoulders and she starts to walk into into this the, the chairs of all these these guests and she begins to sing. And I'm not going to sing the tune because I don't know the tune, but I'll read you the words. So it goes, there's a rose that grows in no man's land and it's wonderful to see. Though it's sprayed with tears, it will live for years in my garden of memory. And as she sings, the soldiers near her, these ex-soldiers sitting in the chairs, start to sing with her. It's the one red rose the soldier knows. It's the work of the master's hand. Mid the war's great curse stands the Red Cross nurse. She's the rose of no man's land. And so she's continued to sing this and she's gotten to the platform and she's standing below it. And and Billy, they've already, they've put him in the noose. And she, she looks to Jenkins and starts to address him. And she tells him that Billy, he cannot say that Billy's a deserter because he's had no trial. Everyone knows that these, that you have to go through trial. And Major Jenkins tries to tell her that there's no time, that they, there's no time. They have to move ahead of this. And she, she takes her chance and she puts her hand on his chest where his heart would be and says, the war is over. We have lots of time. And it, something clicks in with, with Jenkins and he, he basically breaks down sobbing and pulls a revolver out of his pocket. But Maisie says, no, not now. And she takes the gun from his hand and then rushes to, to Billy's side to take him out of the noose. And it's at this at this moment that the police run in. They've arrived as well, and they they put um, basically put Jenkins in in handcuffs. Uh, and I mean, the whole scene is terrible because it's. I would agree with you guys, and I don't think they necessarily say this in the book, but clearly these people have been brainwashed, and so they're crying. And Maurice is there, and he's kind of offering this uh, calming presence and speaking to all of these these kind of patients, these guests, ex-soldiers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and Billy is alive. Damn. So what? Got my heart racing. Wait, is that the end? <laughs> no, no, sorry. Oh, okay. No, I, <laughs> okay. It is. No, it is. It's this crazy. Well, so it, it is. It's this whole situation we're left with. What is going on? So many questions. Yeah. And so uh, let me try and explain some of them. And then I'll ask you if you have more questions, if I've left anything out. But they, they go back to the, the house in Kent to kind of explain to Billy more so. It seems that at this point, Maisie and Maurice have a pretty good idea of what was happening. And so they explain what was going on with Jenkins. And so they they had looked more into Jenkins and found out that he was, we kind of touched on this before, but there was this idea that they were executing all of these soldiers for these crimes that a lot of people felt shouldn't be, ex, like people shouldn't have to die for, you know, cowardice or, or desertion. Mm-hmm. And and Jenkins had been this, this person, this mild-mannered person who had been put in charge of these executions. Oh, and they think that in order to deal with the trauma of having to carry out these executions, he had found, found some way of believing, he had to believe that they were guilty of these crimes in order to go through with it. And there had also been something in him that had maybe started to feel pleasure from the power that it had given him. And so when he returned after war, he had wanted to start this retreat and he had wanted, it had been with good intentions to begin with, 
But then at a certain point, he just wanted the power. And so they think that it would have, when people had wanted to leave, they were ready, you know, they were, they felt healed. They wanted to leave the retreat. He felt like he was losing power and he was losing these people. And so that's when he might've started this killing for the first time. And once he had done it once, it was easier to do it over and over again. What a sick and broken person. My right. Yes. A hundred percent. And so that's, that's kind of one angle of the story, but then kind of going into the financial aspect, uh, they think that Adam Jenkins didn't care about the money at all, but that his, not his brother, but his cousin, Armstrong Jenkins, had been evil in a similar but different way in that he wanted money. And so they had kind of concocted this scheme together where Armstrong Jenkins would have been in charge of this kind of financial situation where he was the one getting the interest and uh, ensuring ensuring that these deaths were covered up and so that this place could keep running and he could keep making money. And so it was, it was, as you said, it was this family affair that just two evil people continuing to be evil unnoticed. Damn. I don't even know if I'm so conflicted. Like on one hand, yes, everything is so evil, but on the other hand, like it was caused by the war in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least for one of them. For, for one of them yeah for sure mm-hmm. yeah so it is this it 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 was kind of forced upon him in a way but also you you do have to think that all of these people had ptsd and they didn't start retreats where they killed people yeah that's true yeah. and, and why I, did I think he that's... call himself a higher level than he actually was like right Lady and it was, and he was only it all had to do with a... power yeah yeah yeah, yeah this yeah. person or the mirage of it anyways yep for mm-hmm. sure so sad it is really sad and i think they do jank and i mean they all end up going to prison in some capacity but i think it's also like a mental treatment as well and and the guests who had been there who had been complicit but also brainwashed they they go to um kind of treatment centers in in one way or another where they can be helped with this experience Um, and so Billy, Billy is thanking Maisie for kind of saving his life for a second time in a sense. And this is when he asks what had happened to the doctor that had saved him and his leg because he wants to thank him. So this is the, uh, Captain Simon Lynch and Maisie starts to cry and I'm going to have a tough time not crying. So Maisie, Billy kind of is, is worried that he's touched on this like tough subject and says like, if you don't want to tell me that's okay. And Maisie tells him that he deserves to know, especially after everything he, that he's done to help to help her and, and what he's been through. And so we, we leave where we had left off before, where Maisie had been on leave with Simon Lynch and he had asked her to marry him and she had said no because she needed the war to be over for her to be able to see the future with, with Simon. And so they had both returned to the front and it was it was only a few days later that Simon got transferred to her a casualty clearing station, her Red Cross tent. And they had worked really well together and they had been really pleased. They were able to see each other and uh, have that kind of closer contact. And they, they, were, they were working. She was the nurse to his doctor, cleaning wounds and, and preparing them for surgery. And she had remembered saving Billy's leg and she talked about it because it was, it was this an idea that part of the nurse's responsibility was to make the soldiers feel like everything was gonna be all right, no matter if it was or if it wasn't. And so she remembers smiling at him and she remembers kind of the comments that Simon had been giving. 
And throughout, as the weeks went on, the shells kept getting closer and closer to their their hospital, to their tent. And it was one day when they were full on under attack and it felt like the shells were all around them. And Simon, Simon had this, this idea that he needed to keep going with the surgery, that it was, well, we have a job to do. We need to keep going. So the last words he had said to Maisie were, let's get on with it. And so we're not, it's, they don't go into detail, but it's clear that the whole, this whole Red Cross tent, this whole hospital had been under some kind of fire. And this is why, this is the kind of trauma Maisie was gone, going through and what she had been sent home to, home from. Um, and so this is, we're now into the last chapter where Maisie has, Maisie goes to visit a nursing home and she's led by one of the staff nurses to where Captain Simon Lynch is sitting in a wheelchair. And she starts by apologizing to him for not visiting since the war. And she says that it's because she was too scared to see, to have to see and have to think about what could have been and how they had been together before the accident, before everything had happened. Not accident, before, before kind of the war, before what had happened. And she, she says that she, she, she had been for these last 10 years dealing with her own trauma, but she had finally been able to kind of come to terms with the, she calls it the tissue wallpaper, tissue walls that she had put up around her to protect herself. And that she was so glad that she had come to see Simon and she was so happy to see him uh, and that she would be visiting more often. And throughout all of this, um, Simon, Simon is unresponsive. It's unclear what information he is able to understand in his in his mental state he's he's clearly had a lot more injuries brain injuries after this accident than than Maisie had suffered and uh and she leaves with the intention to return oh. and that's that is the end of this story mm. that's so sad. does he but this relationship continues to come up in these in this like series right so I, I haven't read any of the other books, I'm yeah. not sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's it is it is this like feeling of what yeah, what could have been and and she does say that when she had thought that she couldn't see a future after the war, she thinks this is the reason is because she she somehow knew that something was something was stopping her from seeing a future where, between them. Mm. So when their um casualty clearance area had been attacked, she had perhaps been injured and so did he but her to a much lesser extent maybe than he did right exactly yeah she had had physical i'm sure she has trauma as well but it's not the same kind of men- mental injuries that he had had where they both probably had physical injuries from um from the shell exploding from a uh, shrapnel right. yeah. and that was the, that's the... Where the scar comes from that's yeah. where the scar comes from. Yeah. So it's this, it's, mm-hmm. it's this, the story slowly leading us to this kind of ending of, so, and, and that's what I meant by a love story in a sense. It's not a happy love story. Oh. Uh, and definitely separate from the kind of mystery aspect of the book. But yeah, it, it's, it's the setting up of Maisie's life that I, I assume in future books, we now go into them with this understanding of who Maisie Dobbs is and what her experiences are. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like this book has made the protagonist more personable than a lot of Agatha Christie novels. Definitely. 
at yes. least from my understanding of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's that's a very good point, and that's kind of why I wanted to do this story. Is it sets up, yeah, it sets up this this character in a way that we've I've never seen a detective set up before, and so it mm-hmm. will be interesting going if I'm able. I, I've ordered her next book from the library. It's just taking a while. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it will be interesting to see how if if the kind of if it's more mystery stories in the future. Do you know what I mean? Like it, this one was kind mm-hmm. of half mm-hmm. side, like early early Maisie living story. Mm-hmm. Uh, how a mystery kind of evolves when you have this kind of description and background on a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you understand how they think, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and so for anyone at home interested, I don't. Uh, interested more in mystery books i would still recommend reading this book i've now read it twice so (laughs) (laughs) Um, i did think it was i think it was a really good story and there's a lot of parts that i've obviously left out in um there's lots of different characters i'm of course not mentioning because they didn't factor into things uh and and more to every aspect of this story if you're interested if you want to and if you want to read more yeah good thing james didn't go yeah, so so the kind of the the ending on James is James does not go to the retreat and he ends up we're not it's not clear on if he heals in any way, but he does agree to start helping his father in the in the family business and is going to Canada to to work on that. Mm-hmm. So there is some some semblance that he is healing, but we're I'm not sure how how that would have come on. I wonder how many characters recur in the in the series. That's Onward. I'm sure Billy. Billy is going to come back, Maurice Mm-hmm. It, it that's a good point it, i guess i am interested to speculate so his the father frankie and lady rowan and lord james or sorry lord julian are all later in life i would imagine in later books we see them some of them pass away no. and not be part of storylines i know sorry i'm sorry <laughs> to make it more sad this book was already so sad happy valentine's I, I, day everyone <laughs> <laughs> This is, uh, yeah, happy Valentine's Day. Great love story. <laughs> yeah, love's not always perfect, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I guess. Except for our love, dear. Our love is perfect. Yeah. Exactly. You, you guys are on the show to show what it can be when there's no war going on. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're perfect. We get it. <laughs> and really humble. Of course, yeah. Part part of being humble is understanding your greatness, you know? <laughs> <laughs> understanding how it affects the people around you. <laughs> I'm so glad that I can bask in your presence. Oh, anytime. <laughs> we're we're happy to be role models you look up to. Good. Yes, yeah. exactly. Also, we're not snobs, just just for clarity. <laughs> we're totally playing the role. Yeah. Caitlin's totally. gonna edit this up and mm-hmm. make us look so bad. <laughs> Like, oh my god, this pretentious uh, you, couple. You know me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just always out to get us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, That's my That's what character. happens when you read too many murder mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this with me. I really wanted to do this book, and it felt like a good opportunity. Yeah, uh, no problem. Us. Yeah, thanks uh, for having us. Uh, closing statements. Again, you can you can contact the show by emailing Tuesday Night Mystery Club at gmail.com. If you'd like to see more mystery book content and get updates on on the show and uh, future episodes, you can follow the 
the show on Instagram, which is at Tuesday Night Mystery Club. If you'd like to support the show further, you can go to patreon.com slash Tuesday Night Mystery Club and become a patron, where you will get different levels of bonus content. Uh, at, at this point, I'd like to thank our current patrons, who are Barb McLean, Michael Brello, Debbie Kravis, and Emily Shilton. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I'm trying to join um, now, but yeah, I don't can, know which one to you choose. Can add two more people to that. <laughs> yeah. And so possibly by this point, Shelly... Shelly Tsao and uh, Alex, I don't know your... Wait, what's your last name? <laughs> no, oh don't say it. You want my support it. and you don't even know my Facebook. name. <laughs> I'll have... If it's on Patreon, I'll know it. Okay, well, just give me give me 30 mm. seconds. Then you'll know my last name. <laughs> Alex Young Davies. I, I knew that. <laughs> oh my god, guys. You get so much value out of this support. Like, you, you gotta do this. You gotta hop on the Patreon and you gotta support this podcast. It's so oh, worth yeah. it. Yeah. I agree. I concur. It's worth it just like to get the shout out. out of twenty-two. So good. <laughs> uh, should we should we close this thing out, guys? Oh yeah, probably. Sorry. Sure. No, <laughs> Got a little carried away. <laughs> just we just need our closing statements. So uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on and good night, everybody at home. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been a blast.